We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. He's also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast. Chip, Clemson is still the defending champ, but faces the best offensive player in the nation from a year ago in Lamar Jackson, who certainly didn't disappoint last week, nor did the Tigers' defense. The ultimate showdown today, which one breaks? Oh, I, I think that this is going to be a classic. I mean, this is uh, we're, we are all treated to this one. And I would argue that Lamar Jackson is the best offensive player in the country this year as well, particularly as an individual. Now, what that means for any potential Heisman consideration, well, the Heisman Trophy is decided by humans, and humans are silly. So they'll figure that out later in the season, maybe in November. But in terms of this matchup, uh, what we've seen from Louisville has suggested that the offensive line issues that were exposed by teams like Houston and LSU late in the season last year maybe still exist. And when you compare that to a Clemson defensive line that totaled 11 sacks against Auburn, and that seems to be growing even stronger as with Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Austin Bryant, Cleland Farrell, they're big, they're strong, they're fast, they're deep, they're tenacious. And I've got to think that they're going to be able to do a great job of applying pressure and making Lamar Jackson uh, beat them with his feet, extending plays. Now, what we have seen from Jackson is that even when he gets some pressure, like we saw against North Carolina, he is still strong enough to evade that pressure, and he has developed a good sense of being able to keep his eyes down the field to connect with a wide-open wide receiver like a Jalen Smith. So I think Lamar Jackson will be able to make some plays in this game. Rich, I think that ultimately it's going to be decided by game flow. A year ago in Death Valley, uh, I was in there. It was an incredible atmosphere, and Clemson's defensive line bottled Lamar Jackson up early. They were up 28-10, to 10, totally dominating in every facet of the game, and that's when Lamar Jackson started to lead the comeback. Of course, it finishes with Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson. They're going back and forth, and Louisville ends up one yard short on fourth down, driving like they're looking like they're going to steal the win. So I'm interested to see not necessarily Lamar Jackson or Clemson's defensive line. Both groups, I think, will look tremendous tonight. But I think this is going to be decided by Clemson's new starting quarterback, Kelly Bryant, and how that Louisville defense shows up because I think that Clemson needs to be able to hold the ball. They need to be able to put together long drives. And against Auburn, that really only happened once with the 10-play, 88-yard drive right before halftime. Clemson will need to be able to run the ball They'll need to be able to control this game because I'll tell you what, if it gets into a shootout, I think I favor the Cardinals. But because of that defense, I think I'm picking Clemson. And I think that we'll see something closer to what the score was two years ago when it was 23-20 to decided in the final minutes than what we saw a year ago with a 42-36 shootout. You know, who do you credit for the success that the Clemson defense has had each year? Because they they produce NFL prospects every year, and several of them leave, and yet they just came, seem to be getting stronger and stronger as the years go by. A d- defensive coordinator Brent Venables might be one of the best football coaches in the country. Um, and when we see these, these coordinators come up, uh, per- sometimes, particularly on the defensive side, because in the ACC, uh, I even think about Bud Foster at Virginia Tech. You know, you rise, you get recognized by the coaching community, uh, people start to leak your name out as a potential target for head coaching openings. And then all of a sudden, uh, there seems to be a settling among the community that, you know, Brent Venables is very, very happy being one of the most highly paid coordinators in the country at Clemson 
and continuing to do this. And this is uh, where I will also credit Dabo Sweeney and really the entire staff because it's not just talent acquisition where you've got uh, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence players that were heralded to be among the best in the country, but it is also the development because beyond that defensive line, you do have a very solid defense. And every year what's happening is we're seeing uh, the next group step up. Think about Ben Boulware and the development that he had over the course of his career. Dorian O'Daniel is another name that's really emerged this season. Uh, Joseph, the linebacker, he's another one, number 34. He flies all over the place. And often what happens is they come in, some of them early enrollees, they might even redshirt their freshman year, and by the time they finally get onto the field, They've spent two to three years in this program, and all of a sudden, what were three- and four-star players are playing at a five-star level, and that entire defense, so well-coached, so fundamentally sound. And again, it is talent acquisition, but it's also talent development. And as long as Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables are in place, I see no reason to think that it's not going to continue for a long time. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter, Chip underscore Patterson. A big topic of conversation this week, Lamar Jackson's NFL prospects, obviously prompted by the six-touchdown performance. Where do you stand on him, though, as a prospect? I think there's no reason why he should not be – Why he should be very much in the mix um, with that top group. I think that if you're going to put – uh, Josh Rosen and Josh Allen in the mix. Like I understand Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold to me does seem like the best pro prospect among college quarterbacks. But uh, I think that Lamar Jackson, his his deep ball looks great. He there are times where I think um, the creativity and the decision making, particularly when you get near the goal line, sometimes he'll try to force some things. But when you had that kind of talent. The human side of me says, well, why wouldn't you try? You know, why wouldn't you try uh, to extend the play just a little bit longer when you've had so much success with it over time? I, I think that he, right now, you know, he's being looked at as someone that is a definitive tier below those first three or four quarterbacks. And I think that you've got to look at him realistically uh, in that group. Again, he, he might not be Sam Darnold, but I think that I would take him over Josh Allen or Josh Rosen. The start of the season looked so promising for Virginia Tech offensively, but the offense regressed a week ago. Was it just a matter of playing down to the competition? I don't think it was playing down to the competition. I think you've got to factor in a little bit uh, of a, a drop-off following what was a very emotional, hard-fought Sunday night game against West Virginia, a rivalry game. Um, you know, you're going up against Delaware and the offense, you just it, it looked a little disjointed. Justin Fuente said as much after the game. But at the same time, I don't sense much concern in Blacksburg about the way this group is going to look. I, I would also suggest uh, that maybe that coaching staff went a little bit vanilla, um, and they definitely did not use Josh Jackson as a rushing threat quite as much as they did against West Virginia, certainly – trying to keep in mind the long-term health of their redshirt freshmen in a game that, as we saw, the defense could absolutely carry them to a win. North Carolina lost a lot of talent to the NFL, but its defense has been picked apart and and, and pretty good. Now, granted, part of it was to uh, Lamar Jackson a week ago, but they can't outscore people the way they did the last two years. Can they fix this and how? 
You know, they've, they've always, they've had a system and they've stuck to it. And Larry Fedora's offensive system took them to an 11 win season and an ACC coastal division title. But it's also been uh, a team where, you know, ECU was able to come into town and, or ECU was able to score 70 points on them. You know, this is, this is kind of what you signed up for. And when everything's clicking, then it all works together. The offense is scoring touchdowns. You stress, you put stress on the other team. You make them a little bit more one dimensional. And then all of a sudden you're able to get some stops. You force some turnovers. I, I think that, um, because some of it is the instability at the quarterback position. Chad Surratt and Brandon Harris have both shown glimpses that have been good, but I don't think it's been anything close to, uh, consistency. They've had some, some turnover on downs. They've had long drives end in mistakes. You know, I, this is, this is a whole picture type thing. There are individual players like a Jalen Dalton on the defensive line, Andre Smith at linebacker, MJ Stewart in the defensive backfield that are very good. And right now those players are saying that it's a communication issue. You know, we'll see. I, I think that this is not going to be an easy fix. I think that it's a whole team situation where once the offense gets clicking, then it'll make things easier on the defense. And then all of a sudden we'll see North Carolina uh, in a position where they will be able to fight for a bowl position once they get into conference play. But let's be honest, the expectations when you lose that much NFL talent is that there's going to be a little bit of a step back. And I think that that step back put North Carolina, you know, right at that, you know, about expectations of about six wins and hoping to get in a bowl, in a bowl spot and build for next season. We take a closer look at the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast, and you can reach him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Stanford USC from a week ago, Bryce Love looks very good so far, but how much does Stanford need to get more out of its offense? I I think that the, the offense was really, really stressed by the fact that um, they were getting whooped up. I mean, they, they got whooped up on by USC's offensive line, and that is a credit to USC's offensive line, which looks very, very strong, paving the way for Ronald Jones and Stephen Carr, uh, who I consider some of the best, one of the best running back duos in the country. But it's strange. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about Stanford after Christian McCaffrey, but the USC loss showed me that the player that is missed the most in terms of an NFL player who's no longer with the Cardinal, is not Christian McCaffrey, but it is Solomon Thomas. Because that defensive line was not able to apply pressure on the passer, and they were getting pushed around in the trenches. I think Stanford has a tremendous secondary, but for the first time in a long time, the defensive line is not a strength. And I don't know if that's going to be a schematic issue. I don't know if that's a group that needs to get stronger over the course of the season, but... That was alarming, and I think that as we look forward at the rest of the Pac-12 season and as we look at Stanford uh, as a team that we st- I still consider to be good enough with Bryce Love, you know, with an, with an offense that I think can go in and put up 30 to 40 points a game, uh, I think it's going to be very, very important. It's going to be critical that that defensive line improve over time or at least have better performances than it did against USC when it was just really pushed around. Again, not something I'm used to seeing at Stanford, but, uh, but it could be a credit to USC. We'll certainly see this week as they go up against uh, San Diego State, a team, another team with a very good rushing attack. So this will be 
this will be a big test for them. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see. I'll be making my judgments on Stanford as a potential Pac-12 title team based on the way these next couple weeks go. On the flip side, USC, they had such an easy time offensively. Sam Darnold completing his first 11 passes and 21 of 26. You mentioned the running back core. Just how good is this offense? They're great. I mean, and uh, Deontay Burnett, a wide receiver, looks like he's finally coming along. One of my big concerns coming out of the Western Michigan game was the fact that this uh, mostly unproven wide receiver core was not going to be ready to step up. They've got a lot of talent, uh, but this is the first time that a lot of these guys have been asked to step into these kind of roles after losing a lot of receptions from the last couple of seasons in the previous receiving core. So Burnett's ready to play. Uh, they've got young players that are stepping in. They they are going to make uh, this USC Trojans offense incredibly difficult to stop because as long as Darnold's turned on um, and the receivers are there making the plays, and again, I, I think that the strength of USC, they've got the, the star boy under center, but the strength of USC's offense is that rushing attack, and it's, it is the complete – it is a complete group – um, that, you know, they don't do it. They do it in a more pro-style manner than maybe Oklahoma uh, with Baker Mayfield. But in terms of offensive units that have impressed me this season against Power 5 competition, uh, I, I would have to say that those two are on the very short list uh, through the first two weeks of the season. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 College Football Podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Oregon is playing in the high altitude in Wyoming tonight. What has impressed you so far about the 2-0 start under new head coach Willie Taggart? How many young players are getting burned right now? Um, Thomas Graham, true freshman defensive back, had a great performance last week. Uh, I think he ended up winning National Defensive Back of the of the Week awards for that performance. But there are a lot of young, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen that are seeing playing time early, particularly on the defensive side of the ball under new defensive coordinator Jim Levitt. And uh, and I've I've got to think that in terms of buying stock, this is not going to be a year where I expect Oregon to compete for the Pac-12 title. But given the youth on this team. And what we've seen from Willie Taggart being able to very quickly turn USF into a 10-win team, that you've got to think that Oregon's going to be back in the mix in the Pac-12 North and competing for Pac-12 championships here within the next half decade. So I'm, I, I think that that's probably been the most impressive. But I do think that this game you know, in Laramie is going to be a good, a good signal to what we can expect. They go in as uh, two touchdown favorites. Uh, you're going up against Josh Allen, of one of those NF highly touted NFL draft type prospects, and uh, and you know Justin Herbert, only a sophomore, he's looked good so far, but this will be uh, another great spot for him. You know, I love their rushing attack. Royce Freeman's been around forever, and he's just been so consistent. But this will this will be a great spot to look at Oregon because they're going to be a little bit uncomfortable. They let Nebraska creep back into the game a week ago. I think that they're going to be inconsistent throughout the season. But again, with all the youth on this team uh, and with the energy that they've played with so far, I, I would say that this is a stock to buy moving forward. Cal also 2-0 under its new head coach, Justin Wilcox, hosting an Ole Miss team that is trying to tread water until it could figure out its future, but also coming in at 2-0. How surprising is this start, though, by the Bears? Uh, the win at North Carolina was the the real shocker, and this was 
this will be a fun, you know, we, we always like to laugh uh, when we get to talk on Saturdays about Pac-12 after dark. This one might still be going at 7 a.m. Sunday morning. Uh, between, seriously, like, we might see 77 or 79 points in this game. Uh, I think it will be, I think neither defense is really set up uh, to, to hold the other one under 40. Shea Patterson has shown so far that he is, the real deal, and he's going to put up wild numbers all through the regular season. You know, Cal's offense explosive by nature. This will be uh, a very interesting spot. I think that this is, uh, if Cal were to get this win, it would give them a lot of momentum going into conference season where all of a sudden there's very, very different set of expectations of where this team could be at the end of November. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the college football 24-7 college football podcast. You know, for all the great quarterback play, especially in the back 12, is Jake Browning now flying under the radar a little? Maybe. I've, I found myself uh, looking at Washington as more of a complete team, one that rides on its defense and its special teams play, with Dante Pettis just being one of the best special teams threats in the entire country. And what maybe a group that underwhelms a little bit offensively. And I've, you know, that's, that is, you know, my opinion, and I'm certainly ready to be proven wrong. Jake Browning has shown at times to be great, but I don't know if I would consider Jake Browning to be one of the, you know, four or five best quarterbacks in that league. I think that the, the strength of the Washington team is that they are so nasty on the defensive line and the linebackers. They're going to get after you. Uh, they almost have a Utah-type flair to the way that they uh, look like they are going to be a dangerous team in the Pac-12. But Jake Browning, you know, I just I, – I have not found myself terribly impressed with, let's say, his last five games. You know, Alabama, I go back to the Pac-12 title game. Uh, I include the semifinal loss against Alabama. And then so far this season, I just – I think that – the he might be flying under the radar and he could be one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12 by the end of the season but I think right now he's flying below the radar because the quarterback play elsewhere in the Pac-12 has been stronger than what he's demonstrated in their start we take a closer look at the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also hosts the 24-7 College Football Podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. No matter how good Jarrett Stidham might be, and especially might be one day, when you're sacked 11 times, that's a major problem. For all the skill positions that Auburn has, will their offensive line be their undoing? I'm, I, I'm wondering if their undoing might be on the sideline. Uh, going back and reviewing that game, Jarrett Stidham did not have uh, – the way the game was schemed up, from my eyes, upon review, he had uh, something that was not uh, a, a recipe for success. Clemson was more than happy to let Auburn uh, take, you know, take small shots, little, little like out routes, five-yard passes were there, but there was a lot of slow-developing plays a lot of deep routes, and when you're dealing with a defensive line that is not going uh, to be held back for many seconds, then these slow developing plays with long routes down the field, that's, that's not a way to, to keep your quarterback upright. So I'm, I, I'm looking at, you know, the we spent all a long time last season 
talking about Auburn's offensive scheme and who's calling the plays. Is it Gus or is it Rhett Lashley? Now we've got Chip Long in the mix, and Gus makes headlines in the offseason saying Chip Long's going to call the plays. But then all of a sudden during these games, you're watching the Auburn offense go, and you can't help but wonder with a, you know, a savant of college football like Gus Malzahn uh, is and has been in the past, you can't help but wonder what his influence is on the offense, whether he's calling the plays or not. And then when, when things just look disjointed, again, reviewing, reviewing that game, I, I think that Auburn's offensive line is good and will be fine. I just think that in that matchup, uh, it, was a, it was not, particularly in the second half, it was not particular. It was not very impressive. Um, looking at the way Auburn was trying to attack a Clemson defense that seemed to have had them figured out. Georgia limited Brennan Wimbush last week and bottled up the Notre Dame running game. Was that one of the more underrated storylines from their win last week? Oh, I mean, it, for me, it was the storyline. I think Georgia's got a like between Bellamy, Roquan Smith, Lorenzo Carter. They're well coached. They've got great recognition. They're freak athletes. Their closing speed is incredible. They flex their muscles in that game, and they looked up on a Notre Dame offensive line that had NFL like first round NFL draft picks there with Matt McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson. Like they showed in that game that Georgia can win the SEC East with that defense and the running combination of Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm doesn't seem to matter in my opinion because they can run the ball, play tremendous defense, and that is going to be enough because that group in that game uh, was one of the strong – that was one of the strongest performances I've seen from an SEC East team all season. South Carolina is off to a solid start. Do you have high hopes of the Gamecocks having a breakout season for Will Muschamp? If they win here, I'll feel a lot better about it. You know, they, they come back home with a lot of confidence after winning in Columbia – uh, the Columbia, Missouri, of course. Um, and this Kentucky team that I haven't quite figured out yet, that uh, if they take care of business, they're about touchdown favorites at home. And South Carolina is able to get a good push up front on defense. If Jake Bentley continues this hot streak, Rico Dowdle can run the ball. Debo Samuel comes up with some big plays. Then I'm going to start taking South Carolina seriously. This is – this is a game where we, we look at the Gamecocks, and as you're trying to sort out the SEC East between the top half and the bottom half, for the, if the Gamecocks take care of business, then I'll be able to start feeling a lot more comfortable uh, calling them one of the top three or four best teams in that division. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Also check out his podcast, the 24-7 College Football Podcast. Florida and Tennessee being played in the swamp with both really needing a win. And, of course, Tennessee has lost safety Todd Kelly Jr. now. Uh, you know, which way does this one go today? I've got Florida here, but I don't feel very comfortable with it. It's a strange game where it seems as though uh, both teams and particularly both coaches, there's a lot more to lose than there is to gain, where a loss, just really brings out some frustration, particularly on the Florida side. You know, a year ago, you've got 11 straight wins snapped in a weird and wild way by the Vols in Knoxville. This is the home opener in the swamp after canceling last week's game because of the hurricane. You know, if Tennessee comes in here 
and gets a victory, and Florida's offense does not look markedly improved from the way it looked against Michigan in the season opener, then this is going to get uh, very ugly and weird and strange. So I'm, I'm thinking that Florida, with all that time to – and again, you know, you have to consider they didn't spend all of this time preparing for Tennessee – uh, there were matters of life and family that you had to take care into consideration. But I, I think that Florida will come out. I think they will look much better on the offensive side of the ball. I think that some of the players like a Tyree Cleveland uh, really shows up in this game, a very strong wide receiver for Florida. I think Felipe Franks will play better. And I think Florida will win. But a lot of that is because if Tennessee does come out with a victory here, then uh, things are things are going to get messy in Gainesville, and uh, and honestly, you know, for for a team that has made it to the SEC championship two years in a row, it is strange to see so much discontent among the fan base. But when you hire a coach with an offensive pedigree, and the offense doesn't seem to look uh, much better at any time during his tenure as a head coach. I do understand that side of it. Couldn't agree with you more. As we talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, LSU's defense has allowed just 10 points in two games so far. Get a little tougher test tonight with Nikki Fitzgerald and uh, Mississippi State. But Arden Key's return, how much does that spark the Tigers? I think Arden Key will flash. I think he'll have a couple moments. Like you might have a a, a fumble, forced fumble or a, a big-time sack on third down. But when you sp- you miss spring practice, you have off-season shoulder surgery, you aren't full, you aren't full go through camp, and all of a sudden you're going to come back this week. I, I just think that there's a conditioning issue that's going to prevent him from being out there as a superstar. I could be wrong. He's a freak athlete. And he's a tremendous football player. But I think that there will be a, a moment or two where you sense Arden Key's presence, but it's not going to be throughout the whole game. But when you're, you're dealing with a playmaker like uh, Nick Fitzgerald, you'll take every fast-twitch muscle that you've got on the roster to be able to try and stop him. For Mississippi State, this might be the biggest game of the season. You know, they're about to go on the road back-to-back uh, at Georgia, at Auburn, or maybe at Auburn, at Georgia. But in, in either way, those are two very tough games to play on the road. Uh, this is at night. We're going to have the Cowbells. The LSU-Mississippi State game in the last three years, I think it's two points, three points, five points. These games have been close. They've been very, very tight. Uh, I think that Mississippi State knows that if you are going to have a special season with a player who has proven to be uh, a very, very special quarterback, particularly in Dan Mullen's offense, then this is a game you got to come out and win. This is a moment for Todd Grantham. Uh, the new defensive coordinator in Starkville for to bring that Mississippi State defense to play because this will, you know, this will be a, a, a spot. This will be a real. This is one of the upset watches for a lot of people to see if LSU, uh, which yes has been able to dominate its opponents, particularly with its defense, but also has played some some pretty poor offenses. So I think that we're looking at a Mississippi State team that has a tremendous opportunity. Uh, to have one of the signature wins of the season. And we're looking at LSU to find out that when you are tested with a play, a unique playmaker and a unique offense like what Mississippi State has with Nick Fitzgerald, you know, are you going to be able to ride that defense uh, to dominate? And then, of course, on the other side of the ball, 
give the ball to Darius Geis to let him take care of business. Alabama hosts Colorado State tonight. Does Nick Saban like scheduling the, this way that's starting off with that tough competition early to have the guys ready for the season open and then dial it back just a, just a notch before conference play begins? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that seems to be the MO. And then, and then you ramp things back up again. Um, and it's, it is a, it's a recipe that's worked. Just count the SEC championships. Uh, and it, and it seems to be something that's working for Nick Saban. I, I think that you look at the, the Fresno State game and the Colorado State game, you know, those are going to be the moments where he's going to be able to get, get some stuff on tape to coach him up during the week. He's going to be able to find some, some mistakes. He's going to be able to get some backups in there that might be able to make some plays that he can highlight so that he can test the starters. Um, you know, these, this is all about the repetitions and about working on, you know, his vision of perfection in Alabama's execution. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to have multiple, you can't, play the number three team in the country and then be expected to also schedule another top 25 non-conference game. And when you play it in that first game, like you said, it not only gets them ready, but it, it puts you right in that big time playoff atmosphere. So I, yeah, I think this is Saban's MO. And I think that when we look at these games, which have, you know, extraordinary point spreads and uh, it's really all about understanding that we're watching uh, a Nick Saban practice, uh, in live, in, in real time, as he's able to put his players through some situational, uh, situational work that we know he's going to be breaking down during the week.